Father, thank you so much for this time together that we could be here and encouraging each other, spurring one another on to love and good works, to um, encourage each other to praise the Lord, to lift up his name, to lift up our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And Lord, we, we, so we thank you for these moments that we've had. And now we ask that you would prepare our hearts to receive what you have for us from your word. I pray, oh God, that we would recognize the incredible riches that are found in the scriptures, the amazing grace that you would reveal to us truth and give us life through your word. So I pray, oh God, that we would hang on every word from your truth this morning and apply it to our lives. Incline our, our hearts, our minds toward obedience to you, Lord. I pray that, um, that we would be willing right now to um, invite you to tell us whatever that you want to tell our heart and reveal to us wherever we're falling short and that we would um, commit to you even now, Lord, that what you say to us, what, how you speak to us, uh, we will receive it and welcome it. And by your strength, by the power of God's spirit, we will um, apply it to our lives. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, some people have said that stress and challenges make a man, and that I think is true, or a woman. But I think perhaps more than that, crisis, stress, and strain actually reveal a person and reveal the cracks that might be in their life. Um, that's what stress tests are all about in the physical world, and for the most part. Health stress tests, you have engineering stress tests. They're to, to see where things might be weak, where things might crack and fall apart. Seems to me that we're living in a moment where there's a lot of things being revealed. There are cracks being revealed. Weaknesses being demonstrated. I think during this moment, there are certainly cracks in our theological knowledge. What I have learned over these last six, seven, eight months or whatever is that, that we're not all, all on the same page in terms of who we are, what we are. We're having a struggle, I think, with the theology of the church, ecclesiology. The Lord, for that reason, the Lord has laid on my heart that uh, in the new year, we're going to do a series together to rediscover who we really are. Who is the church? What is the church? Maybe we'll call it something like identity crisis because that's what I sense around us. We have, not, we have not been prepared for this moment. It's become very obvious. There are large cracks, though, I think, at this time, showing up in our relationships with one another. The stresses and challenges of this moment 
are revealing some deep wedges, some deep trouble in our relatedness. And uh, it's to that that actually Peter addresses us today in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 7. Our relationships. In fact, in the text that we're going to look at today, Peter talks about this word, uh, one of these qualities, a word that we actually use for more for a city than for a word, Philadelphia. We're looking at the word Philadelphia. In your Bibles, it looks like brotherly kindness, but the word is actually Philadelphia. And I think, uh, you know, at the time that Peter was writing his letter, there was lots of stress and strain on the church as well, from the outside and from the inside. There were forces of government hostile to the faith. There were false teachers that had found their way inside. And then there was just the strain of people in community seeking to get along. And so he writes that the quality of brotherly kindness is one of these things that we must make every effort to add to our faith. And I I think as we consider what's going on around us, we see people Easily taking offense, I'm talking now about people in the church, I'm talking about people in Christianity, easily taking offense with one another, thinking the worst of each other. I see at times almost complete self-centeredness around the issues of panic and fear and my rights and my health and my survival. I see people who are quick to cancel people who they disagree with. We found a whole new method of shunning people through social media. You can just cancel them. And I believe that the Lord himself is very grieved at this time by how poorly we're handling the stress and strain of the moment as a fellowship of people. And so, um, I guess I would ask a big question of us this morning, and I'm going to invite you to grade yourself on it, but not publicly. Are you on the way to a more generous love of your fellow Christians, or do you find yourself mostly critical and at odds with one another? What grade would you give yourself in the whole matter of brotherly love, a a C plus, a B minus, anybody here giving themselves an A plus? Do not put your hand up, I can't take it. I think it's instructional for us to understand that when Peter was moved by the Spirit of God to address these rich qualities that describe people of the faith, He pointed out that you might be good and you might have great knowledge about the Lord. You might have self-control and be patient and stay under things that are tough. You might even be moving toward godliness. 
But it's possible that you might not be demonstrating brotherly love, sisterly love, love for believers. And so um, if your Bibles are open to 2 Peter today, it is verse 7 where he makes the point. In fact, to the original audience, he says love twice. The Greeks had four words for love, Philadelphia being one of them. The next word that we're going to look at next week, Lord willing, is love in the word agape, which is the one you probably know a lot, and it appears most in the scriptures. But this one is a very specific type of love, Philadelphia. What is it? I think a very simple definition of what this is, is to cherish and highly regard, to think well of, to love believers. It's very specific. Literally, it is love a brother. Uh, Phila, love, Delphia, brothers. It is love of brothers. It is a very specific love, very particularly targeted only to believers. This is a love that, that only we can have with one another. It is a very unique thing, a very unique relationship. And I want to point out to you three quick things, first of all, that, that theologically help us to develop an understanding of what this really is and, and how we have it. And the first is this. It's a recognition. Philadelphia, brotherly kindness, is a recognition of a theological reality. And the theological reality is this. The abiding seed of God in us, shared in common makes us eternal kin. You know, we could probably shut down everything and say, why is it important that we get along with and love one another? Because guess what? We're going to be family forever. Do you understand that? That your brothers and sisters who are here are going to be your family forever. So look around, look beside you, and get used to the fact that you're going to be with each other forever. We are eternal kin, but this is exceptional, an exceptional truth. Turn back in a couple of pages in your Bible to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22, 23, and 24 are really uh, fabulous insights into this reality. Look at, now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, in other words, now, now that you are agreeing and cooperating with the work of the Holy Spirit, you've come into the faith in Christ and you are growing by obeying the truth so that you have, this is just a given, so that you have sincere love for your brothers. Love one another deeply from the heart. And here's why. Because you've been born again. Why do we... Why do we embrace this? Why do we have this brotherly love? Why can Peter say, add this, make every effort to add this? Because you are born again. You have this. And here's how you're born again. Not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. This is an exceptional truth for Christians, beloved. Our brotherhood has nothing to do with our birth family. It has nothing to do whatsoever with our nationality. It has everything to do with the fact that we are born again of the seed of God into the family of God. And the word of God is the seed of God. I'm not sure whether we 
really understand the nature and power of God's word in our lives, but keep in mind that, it, that the universe itself was formed by the word of God. God spoke, and his word is so powerful that the universe came into existence. And Paul writes to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6, this is the same thing that happened to you. God said, let light shine, as he, as in the same way that he said, let light shine in the darkness, in creation, he has done the same thing in the new creation, causing you to be born again by his word. This is why in evangelism, we seek to share the word of God with an individual so that the word of God is taken into the mind and is now there for God to bring to life as his seed is planted in our lives. And because the seed of God's word is planted in our lives and we are born again, we are living and alive because of the constant eternal work of the Spirit of God through the Word of God that brings life, the life-giving Word of God. Here's the problem with us. We all probably have many books, and the Bible is just one of a number of books that we have. Your Bible is nothing like any other book you have. The words of all the other books that you have are just words. The words of the book called the Bible and the books of the Bible are actually life-giving words of God that bring you life now and for all eternity. This is why it's so important. You know, a few years ago, I, was wait I wanted to get this really expensive Bible because I thought, you know, all the books that I have, I want my Bible to be the very, very highest quality, best possible book that you can get but you can't get them here in Canada, so I needed to wait for the Canadian dollar to kind of find its way to the American dollar. And there was, a, there was a brief moment, a brief moment of Camelot. Some of you might remember, 10, 15 years ago, I can't remember, where the Canadian dollar was a little bit better than the American dollar. Do you all remember that? Wasn't that a bright, shining moment? It was glorious. Well, I seized upon that moment, and I bought this Bible, and it's, it's, uh, you know, it's the binding, binding and just the quality, because this book is the very best book that I will ever have, that I have, and the words in this book give me life, and give life to you, and it makes us, therefore, eternal kin, because we are in the family of God through the seed, literally, of God. All, all men, it says in the text, are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, and the flowers fall. Flesh dies, but the word of God stands forever. We will live eternal lives because God says so, because God's word is life-giving. Also, take note of the fact that the incarnate God came for us to live among us and to perform an assignment on our behalf because of the divine priority concerning the family of God. Jesus didn't come to earth because of the priority of politics or because of the priority of preferences or because the priority of physical wellness. Jesus didn't come to earth for the priority of position or a priority of prosperity, he came to earth 
because of the priority of people to God. We are a priority. And when we understand the nature of brotherly love, it's a recognition of the practical requirement to honor the gift for our devotion to Christ. Look at Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10 and verse 30. Listen to what Jesus says here. He says in verse 29, I tell you the truth, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times much in this present age, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and on he goes. Beloved, we are God's gift to each other because we are followers of Jesus Christ. We have hundreds of mothers and fathers and brothers and sisters as a gift, and we honor that gift when we recognize the great value of our brothers and sisters to one another. We honor the the gift that God has given to us for our devotion to Christ. Every so often, I make sure that I remind um, our ministry team um, with a a values sermonette to them uh, concerning our ministry here. And it's a takeoff. Some of you remember um, years ago when Bill Clinton was running for presidency, he had uh, James Carville as his campaign manager. And and James Carmel came, Carmel, uh, I got food on my mind. James Carville came up with his pithy meme, before memes were memes, he came up with this pithy meme to um, help Clinton to remember to stay uh, on uh, target with his his campaign. And it was, um, it's about the economy, stupid. And and Carville would always... drill that into Clinton. Wherever you are, whatever speeches you're making, you're, you, the, elect, you, the election is going to be yours. If you remember to tell people it's about the economy, stupid. Not tell them the stupid thing, but it was to him that was stupid. And so I, I came up with this, I, I took a spin off of this, and I tell the guys all the time, um, our sole focus here at Calvary is this, it's about the people, Stupid. And um, it, it is about the people. It's always about the people. God is about the people. God, is, God loves you uh, infinitely. And he's brought you into his family. And we are the family of the king of kings. And literally, we are the first family of the universe. Think about that. That's who you are to God. That's who we are to each other. We are the first family of the universe. So... Um, We are in this grand family, and finally, in this section of what is this all about, it's a validation of genuine faith, that you love your brothers and your sisters. Philadelphia is a validation of genuine faith. It's how we know we have passed from death to life. Uh, If you're back at 2 Peter, just flip over one book, you'll find 1 John, and you'll find 1 John 3, and you'll notice in 1 John 3, verse 10... And in that verse, and by the way, look at, even look at verse 9 for a second. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in him. You see, John is preaching the same truth, the same eternal reality that we are kin to the Father in heaven and to one another through the seed of God that is implanted in us by his word. 
Now, this is how we know who the children of God are. That's a pretty obvious statement, isn't it? How do we know? Well, let's look at this. And who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not a child of God, nor is anyone who does not love his brother. That's pretty easy to understand, beloved. It's pretty, he lays it out there straightforward for us. This validates the love that you have for your brothers and sisters validates your family kinship in the family of God as one born again by the word of God through the spirit of God. So when you ask the question, am I really in the family of God? And lots of us are asking those questions all the time. We want to know, are we secure in the family of God? Am I in the family of God? Well, there's some practical realities that demonstrate that to you, and brotherly love is one of them. Let me say this, that any system or any religion that doesn't love Christians has nothing to do with the the God of the universe. Any system... Any religion that doesn't love Christians has nothing whatsoever to do with the true and living God of the universe. Okay, so that's enough of the what. What about why? Why? Why are we to, to uh, make a, an effort to add to our faith brotherly kindness? It's the rule of conduct of the new creation community. There are many other interfering loyalties that are putting this quality at risk, particularly now. Politics, race, physical health, material prosperity, popularity, all these other potential things to which we might give loyalty are putting at risk brotherly kindness. So why? Well, it's an imperative, by the way. It's not suggested. This is an imperative. Love your brothers. It's a command of God. But uh, I'll give you six quick points. God is, number one, God is love. Siblings are expected to model the head of the household and love each other. Back to 1 Peter. You see what it says there in verse 22? Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply. From the heart. It's to be sincere love. By virtue of your status as set apart. See that purified? You purified yourself. Set apart to God and obeying God. It is expected. It is, it is not to be fake. Not to be manufactured. It should come with the, the, the reality of your faith. It really, it really must. It should come Newly natural to you because you, are a, because you belong to God and we're to love each other sincerely. Secondly, you need to be loved. We've been made this way. When Jesus was asked about the greatest commandment, what did he say? Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, soul, body, and strength. And what? Love your neighbor as yourself. We were made to be loved. God made us to love him and to love one another. This is the manufacturer's suggested way of functioning. It's a command of God. God made people this way. 
God's people must be the best example, therefore, of God's will. That's what brotherly love is all about. Thirdly, you're not enough. You need your brothers and sisters. Look at 1 Corinthians. There's some fabulous teaching in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And I want to just uh, cherry pick here a little in the text. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I want to look at verse 14. Then I want to go to verse 21 and then verse 25. Look at verse 14 of 1 Corinthians 12. Now the body is not made up of one part, but of many. It's not an accident that there are many of us and that we're different. It's intentional. It's intentional by God that we would be different and that we would provide different responsibilities. Look at verse 21. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. You can't look around this church and say, I don't need any of these people. God has determined that we need each other. God has put us together because we do need each other. And look what, verse, uh, partway through verse 24, but God has combined the members of the body and has given greater honor to the parts that lacked it. Here's, here's why. So that there should be no division in the body. God honors the abilities that he has given to each of you as vital and necessary and essential to the body of Christ so that there should be no division. We, Paul's saying, we should expect and understand and view our relationship with one another the same way God does, that he values and honors what, how he has made us and asks us to do the same, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. This is brotherly kindness. This is brotherly love. We are to gather together to spur one another on to love and good works. From Genesis to Revelation, the same message comes through all along. It's not good to be alone. It's necessary to be in community. At the end of the books, God dwells with man for all eternity in community. This is what God has designed. This is how God has designed us. And because of the increasing wickedness around us and the culture that's closing in on us and former people who call themselves followers of Christ who are, who are uh, defecting from the faith is making it so that we are going to be all that we have. It's just going to be us. We're going to be the ones who have to look after each other and care for each other and emotionally provide for each other. It is going to be necessary for us to practice now what it looks like to be real brothers and real sisters in challenging times that may get more and more challenging. And if we can't do it now when things are relatively light, how will we do it when things get more difficult. It is a testimony to the gospel. Being countercultural in brotherly love is a magnet for the gospel. John, uh, Jesus, John records what Jesus said in John 13, 35, when Jesus said, by this all men will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. It has always been so throughout history people have noticed the distinctiveness of Christians and how they love each other. Those on the outside have always remarked down through history of how Christians 
modeled loving one another. How many people longed to be part of the Christian community because of the love that we had for one another. It will not change. It continues to be a testimony and a witness to the authenticity of a true God who loves people by how we love one another. It is a magnet that draws people to Jesus Christ. We are salt and light. We attract people to Christ by how we treat one another. It is imperative for us to demonstrate that in our lives. We're not to act superior over one another. We're not to act vicious toward one another. We're not to cancel one another out of our lives like some cheap subscription. We are an enduring family that will last together for all of eternity. And we need to practice it now. We need to make every effort now to do it. Any division, by the way, strengthens the effectiveness of the enemy. That's why Paul wrote to the Ephesians in Ephesians chapter 4, 26 and 27 and told them, whatever you do, don't let your, the sun go down on your anger. Why, why, would, why shouldn't we? Because he writes, because you'll be giving the devil a foothold into your life. How important is, that, is it that we make certain that daily we are in good relationship with our brothers and our sisters so that we don't give ground to the enemy to come into our lives and produce mischief that will devastate and destroy because he's only looking to steal, kill, and destroy. Any division strengthens his effectiveness. Failures invite satanic impact. Dividing always weakens and strengthens destruction of the enemy. We live together as believers who don't always agree with one another. I've had to learn to love you even though you love the Maple Leafs. It's been difficult, but I've learned to love you in spite of that. Hey, we're Calvinists, we're Arminians. We're liberals, we're conservatives. We're pietists, we're activists. But we're first and foremost Christians who follow the Lord Jesus Christ. And because of that, all of those other things are just intramural discussions, but they must not be allowed to cause us to break fellowship with our brothers and our sisters, ever. Excellence in Philadelphia marks you up for a glorious kingdom assignments. I, I, we, we don't have the time to look at these texts, but there's lots of assignment for you in this sermon, lots of scripture texts, lots of work for you to do on your own. But in the Old Testament, the whole concept of loving kindness and brotherly kindness, is, is, it, it fills throughout the whole community of Israel in the context of, of what it meant to be a community of God's people. It's found everywhere. But there's a couple of really great examples. One that I can think of in Genesis 24, and that particular text is where Abraham decides that it's time for Isaac to have a wife. We have our own Isaac here, and it's time for him to find a wife as well. And he might want to take note of, of how that works. But here's how it works. So Abraham signed Isaac up for ChaldeanMingle.com. All right? That, that's not noted in the text, but that's what happened. And he got this servant who signed him up, and, and he made him make a thigh promise. Now, you know, you know what a thigh promise is. You look at me like, what, what Bible are you reading from? You haven't read your Bibles. Go back and read that story. He made a thigh promise. Now, I don't know what a thigh promise really is. I, I'm, 
I'm not about to ask Pastor Calvin to make a thigh promise with me. All right. I don't know whether you had to put your hand on the thigh or under the thigh. Either way, I'm not doing it. But there were thigh promises. He made him make a thigh promise. And when you, when you do a thigh promise, man, this is serious stuff. Maybe Isaac needs to do a thigh promise. Our own Isaac. I don't know. But this thigh promise was go find Isaac a wife from the Terah family. There, there were several non-negotiables from the Terah family. And that she would be a person who demonstrated family kindness. And so it was. He went and went to the family of Terah, his own family, and, and found a, a, a woman who came to water, uh, to, to draw water from the well. And, and when she got there, she sees this stranger and she asks, you know, do you want me to draw water for you? And she gives him water. And then she does this remarkable thing. And you know what? I'm going to also draw water for your camels and I'm going to give them water. And he's like, ah, that's the woman. That's the woman for Isaac right there. That's the woman for our own Isaac is the woman who demonstrates brotherly kindness. And by the way, this was a test for someone who would be, be a mother in the line of kings. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Judah, kings. And the same with Ruth. Ruth and Boaz, you can read the story in Ruth 3. Because of her loving kindness, because of her brotherly kindness, Boaz takes her to be his wife. She becomes the grandmother of King David and again in the line of Jesus because of brotherly kindness. Listen, you may be up for a glorious kingdom assignment because you make every effort to demonstrate your great love for the brothers and the sisters. So how, how do we do this? Well, Jesus makes it very, very simple. In Luke chapter 6, I, I think, you know, we could pr pretty much shut down the sermon right now with Jesus' words and say, hey, this, what's hard to understand about this? But in, in Luke chapter 6, verse 31, Jesus says this, do to others as you would have them do to you. Beloved, how, how hard is that to understand? It's, it may be difficult to execute, but it's not hard to understand. I mean, think about it. Whatever you're about to do, think, would I want somebody to do that to me? Whatever you're about to think about your brother or your sister, would I want someone to think that about me? Whatever you're thinking about going and telling somebody else about somebody, would I want somebody to go and do that about me? Jesus makes it kind of simple here for us. What brotherly kindness really looks like. But in the event that you need it spelled out a little more for you, I've got five quick how-tos and then we'll be done. And the first is this, you need to to learn how to deal with social and civil disputes. I, I'm putting a lot of scripture up here today. I'm going to disappear from the screen, I hope, for a lot, lot of this so you can just see the Word of God because I'm concerned you might not turn and look in your own Bibles. If you want to turn to your own Bibles, that's great because then you can underline some things. But, but I want you to look at some things right from God's Word and hear from His life-giving Word what brotherly kindness really looks like in practical ways in day-to-day -day living. How do I deal with social and civil disputes? 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 1 to 7. I exhaust all dispute and disagreement resolution first internally in the church. I, I don't run quickly to embarrass the Lord by taking family scuffles public. Listen, look at the word. If any of you is a dispute with one another, do you dare to take it before the ungodly for judgment instead of before the Lord's people? 
Now let me stop here and, and, and make note to you that the same Bible that's teaching us this is the same Bible that says there is a government and there is a structural, structured government and there's a, there is a government that has legal systems in place and it's endorsed by the living God according to his word and, and, and the government is, is commissioned by the living God to carry forth judgment to support those who do good and to punish those who do bad. So I, I don't, it's the same Bible, but understand this is in matters of civil internal disputes for things like financial disagreements that have taken place internally or, or, or um, other things, maybe property things or stuff like that. It's go here first, come here first. Listen to the text. Do you not know that the Lord's people will judge the world? I hope we understand, I, I think we don't, that in our identity as the church of Jesus Christ, we are the supreme court of the universe. We are it. Do you see what the text says? Don't you know you're going to judge the world? So shouldn't you be able to judge, shouldn't you be competent to judge trivial matters internally? Don't you realize you're going to judge angels? I'm not making this stuff up. It's right in the text. We are the the final adjudication of the universe. We've been given the living word of God. We serve the king of kings and the Lord of lords. The mind of Christ has been given to us. The church is the highest court. So should you be appointing outsiders? Look at verse four. Therefore, if you have disputes about such matters, do you ask for a ruling from those whose way of life is scorned in the church? going to take this outside of the church? He says, I say this to shame you. He has no problem. Just shame, shame, shame on you. Shame on Christians, Paul says, who would run and tattle to the outsiders when these trivial matters can be settled internally. Second, we need to, be a, we need to learn how to deal with anger against your brother. What you damage, you need to fix. Look in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 4, or 5, I should say. Matthew 5, 21 and 24. It's going to be on the screen. You have heard it, it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister, so that the, the text, the subject, is, is anger with brother or sister will be subject to judgment. And then it talks about you better not name call your brothers and sisters. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka is answerable to the court. Anyone who says you fool will be in danger of fire of hell. And then it says this, this is acceptable worship. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you. Note that, something against you, not you have something against them. They have something against you. Now, by the way, this something against you isn't a trivial disagreement about hockey teams. This is something that is significant whereby you know that you have sinned against somebody. You know, or at least that they believe you have sinned against them. And you know that they have something against you, that you have done something. You know this. Now, you can't acceptably worship the Lord until you go and make that right. 
That's what this is about. That's what brotherly kindness is about. It's not about your righteousness or your opinion that's bothering someone. That's not the issue. The issue is someone, you know that someone has been hurt by you. Fix it. That's brotherly kindness. You need to learn how to deal with disputable matters, your liberties. Do not attack your brothers and sisters by weaponizing your many liberties. We have freedom to do things, spiritualizing personal preferences. Numbers, or Romans 14, I want to look at here. And I'm going to very much personalize it this morning. I'm going to personalize the text. Don't accuse me of adding to God's word, even though I've added some words. Because I know that's not, but I've, I've applied something for you. We are living in a time where outsiders have made it very difficult to live together in church. Other agencies, other health concerns, all kinds of things, these have nothing to do with the church. The church hasn't made these restrictions. The church hasn't, this has nothing to do with the church. It's all about what's happening outside and around us. But its effects are touching the church very significantly and particularly touching us in our relationships with one another. And God has something to say about this in Romans 14. The one who masks must not treat with contempt the one who does not. Now let me pause for a second. Before we go any further into the word of God, we are living in a circumstance and a situation where wearing a mask or not wearing a mask are both lawful. Not wearing a mask is to those who have personal exemptions, and there are many. The government believes that our culture can live together in harmony wearing a mask or not wearing a mask. That means that the church should excel at living together with one another, whether you're wearing a mask or you're not wearing a mask. Keep in mind both being lawful. That's the key key reality, both being lawful. So we can take and apply this text and say, the one who wears a mask must not treat with contempt the one who does not, and the one who does not wear a mask must not judge the one who does. For God has accepted them. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master, servants stand or fall, and our master's Jesus and they will stand, for the Lord is able to make them stand. Now, what does it look like to, to, to exercise contempt or judge? The one who masks must not treat with contempt the one who does not mask. In other words, you, you don't look at the person who's not masked and say, you don't love me. If you loved me, you would wear a mask. That's weaponizing your, your own personal health care. I can assure you that people who are not wearing masks have reasons for not wearing masks. It's, it's their own health. And they do love. 
If it were true that we didn't love our neighbor without a mask on, we should have been wearing masks our whole lives. Because we've been spreading the flu and the cold and everything else since I was a baby. But we don't wear masks. We're just wearing masks right now. So let's not have this divide the church and ruin the church and ruin the reality of Jesus Christ and all that's going on over something we wear on our face or don't wear on our face. And and treating and judging another is for those who do not wear a mask, you are not to judge others who wear a mask by thinking they're weak or something. That would be judging them. And here's the key words in 22. Whatever you believe about these things, Keep between yourself and God. Is that good counsel? That's good counsel, I think. Blessed is the one who does not condemn himself by what he approves, but whoever has doubts is condemned if they eat or mask because their masking is not from faith or not masking is, not from, is from faith. Everything that does not come from faith is sin. This is not a hospital. We're not, we're not a healthcare place. This is a place of instruction of truth, of coming together to rejoice and to worship. And the bottom line is we need to receive and welcome each other with brotherly kindness. Accepting exemptions, accepting those who wear masks. That's the way it works. That's the way the government has set the protocol up. That's who we are. If this place is not safe for you, even though it's cavernous and gigantic, then you have to take responsibility for your own health care, every one of you, and those online. That's how it has to work. That's how we have to get, to get along together. That's what the scriptures teach us about how to deal with our disputable matters and liberties, or we will devour each other. That's what Paul said to the Galatians in Galatians chapter 5, 13 to 15. If you keep biting at each other, you will actually be devoured by each other. The picture of that text is two snakes biting each other's tail and continuing to munch their way along the tails. You think of the picture. Eventually, they actually devour each other. And that's what will happen in the church because we have some time yet with this reality. We have the deep, dark winter, as Joe Biden calls it, ahead of us. We have to love each other through this time. Fourthly, meet practical needs. 1 John 3, 16 and 17, also in Thessalonians. Timothy, don't tell me that you're meeting needs. Show me your meeting needs, but also don't cheat me either. Don't cheat me. Look at the text. The one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. You don't get handouts if you're unwilling to work. In, in verse 8 of 1 Timothy 5, anyone who does not provide for their relatives is worse than an unbeliever. Don't come and talk to me and ask me for money if your own family won't give you any money. But if you're really down and you really need some help, verse 17 1 John 3, if anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or a sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? So you see, the instructions are clear on how we handle the brothers and sisters. And then finally, you have to learn how to deal with accusations and misunderstandings. Instead of thinking the worst, always think the best of your brothers and your sisters. 
champion rescue, champion restoration, champion generous affection, champion unity. And there are so many great texts, but there's no better text than 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 to 8, which is a lovely wedding text, but it's so much broader than that. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. That's what we're being called to, beloved. That's what we're being called to. Dare to trust in the word of God and live it out in your life. We live in a world that's mostly suspicious, fearful, polarized, Guards are up. Not so of you. We are not suspicious of each other. We are not polarized. We are not fearful. And we don't have our guards up. Because we are in the same family. A family that Jesus died to bring about. So in closing, I simply ask you, because God requires it of you, Philadelphia takes time and energy and sacrifice and effort. So of these five things, and there are others, but these five are pretty main. How are you doing? How are you doing in the matter of civil and social disputes? How are you doing in the matter of Loving uh, your brothers, dealing with anger. How are you doing in disputable matters and liberties? How are you doing with temporary needs of your brothers and sisters? How are you doing in the areas of accusations and misunderstandings? Make every effort to add to your faith brotherly love. Beloved, this is just a sampling, just an hors d'oeuvre of God's word. But imagine, imagine if we imbibed deeply in this hors d'oeuvre. Imagine what it would look like to Oshawa, to Durham region, to the outermost parts of the world. I would hope people might consider beating a pathway to the church to find out, wow, in this polarized, angry time, You guys are sure different. You love each other. You have each other's back. You don't go off tattling to other people. You stick together because you love each other. Our Father, I pray that it may be so of us. Your word is life-giving. If we embrace this word, it brings life to us, rich life to us, oh God. I pray that we would. I pray, oh Lord, that you would move our hearts specifically today, applicationally, to the very areas where you've pricked our hearts today, Lord. Said, hey, that's, that's an area that you're not really, in the stress test, you're really failing here. Lord, may we turn these areas of weakness over to you that you might cause them to be areas of strength going forward. For I ask this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.
Let me close with one final reading from Scripture to put, I hope, a bow on the gift of today. Therefore, Colossians 3.12, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love. The uniting bond of perfection. Wow. Wow. God bless you all online. Thanks so much for joining with us today. We love you so much. And stay, uh, stay tuned for a few moments for a quick announcement. And uh, we'll see you back either here or there next week. God bless. Thank you for joining with us today online and at our 301 campus. Let's give serious attention and act upon what we have learned today in God's Word. If you're a guest to our ministry today and would like to speak to one of our pastors about your spiritual needs, please contact us at guest at calvary.on.ca. Thank you as well to our whole church family for your generous investment in our mission together as we continue to reach our community and throughout the whole world. There are multiple ways to give which are appearing right now on your screen. Help us take the message of God's good news in Jesus Christ to your neighborhood and our world. See you again, Lord willing, next week.